Hey everyone, this is Myra. Welcome back to another episode of Sippin' With Us. Today we have a really interesting topic, which will be finance, and we have a certified financial planner here with us today. Welcome and thank you for coming, Eric. Let's start off with introducing yourself. So yeah, so uh, my name is Eric Carlos. I'm a certified financial planner, what they call a CFP. Um, and I have a financial planning practice under Texas Private Wealth Advisors out of Dallas, Texas. Awesome. Texas Private? Texas Private Wealth Advisors. Okay. Texas Private, yeah. So it's www.texasprivatewealth.com. And um, who forms it currently at the moment is, um, along with myself, is uh, my partners Marco Lopez and uh, James Clark. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long have you had, uh, been on your own? We have been independent advisors now for a little over three years. We formed Texas Private Wealth Advisors um, last year after we uh, left a prior firm of independent advisors that we were uh, working with. So we decided to just collaborate and, you know, put our all of our resources all together nice Nice. so tell us how long you've been doing this for like your schooling what what careers you got or what degrees you got yeah sure sure um so i actually started my career um in the insurance business and i I worked with state farm um yeah from 2004 2003 i'm sorry to about 2007 and um, i worked at their customer response center where you would take in claims people would just finish either you know getting their house so like on. State yeah yeah it's a, it's a call center and i you know it kind of bored me out after yeah. like the fourth month so yeah. um somehow or another one of my really good friends um, hooked me up with an agent who was looking for somebody to do his telemarketing and kind of like put the step in the door so the state farm agent? yeah state farm agent so um i had prior telemarketing experience heavy telemarketing experience actually for about three years um through the state of new york and um yeah we basically um so i started working both of the positions and then eventually i went full-time with him um in el paso and so uh got licensed with my property and casualty license there which allows you to legally it's sell I, I, the reason why i'm giving late because i was an insurance um Oh, nice. Yeah, I started working when I was an insurance officer when I was like 15. Like, really? Oh, wow. Like, part-time. And then when I went graduated from 18, then I went to work in a pen agency. Oh, okay. Like, smaller insurance company. Mm-hmm. And then I was pretty much, like, running their office, me and my boyfriend at the time. And I actually took the test when I was 18 or 19. It was hard. Yeah. And I was 19. Did you pass it? No, I filled it with a 63. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. hard. It, the test is hard. Yeah, yeah it is. It they is. ask you questions like farms and ranch questions, like stuff that I've never sold before. Yeah, yeah definitely. And like they say you have to take it like, most of the time you have to take it like twice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, luckily I passed it on my first, or the PNC, but then my life and health license which allows you to, you know, yeah. be able to sell life insurance and UEDs. It, it was way harder. But I will say I, I kind of slacked it on a little bit. I was like, oh, I kind of left it yeah. on the back burner. But I think after the second attempt, I, I, I passed it. So um, I also got bank certified there. State Farm has their own bank division. So um, that kind of caught my eye. And, you know, I started financing auto loans and started doing home equity loans and mortgages and all that good stuff. And eventually what kind of led me to go into the financial services area as far as investments is I wanted to get licensed with my securities license 
The only mm -hmm. thing is, is at the time, uh, State Farm, if you weren't the age, the actual okay. agent, you couldn't get those. They wouldn't yeah. sponsor you for it. So you need a sponsor to have securities licenses right. in the industry. So um, I literally walked up to Wells Fargo and walked in, asked to speak with the president of the bank, told her my story, and I said I wanted to be a licensed banker, and she's like, I'll give you the spot, just be a banker for about a year, do great, you know, shows you can succeed and we'll give you the shot to pass for those. So she told you the same with that working for a bank before, because you worked with... Yeah, well, I worked with State Farm Bank. I, was, I, I had told oh, her my, okay. my previous experience, like, with mortgages and with auto oh, okay. loans and all that good stuff. And so, yeah, I got the opportunity, so, you know, I, I left, I, I decided you know, State to leave... State Farm Yeah, left State Farm, became a banker with Wells Fargo, and after about a year, um, got my securities license, which is the Series 7, your Series 66, and then I transferred over my insurance licenses as well. So, okay. basically, I was a full-functioning licensed and banker. was that here? Or? That was in El Paso. Oh, that was actually in El Paso, Texas. Yeah, in El Paso, Texas. Oh, originally from El Paso, yeah. El Paso. Yeah, born and raised. Born and raised. Born and raised. Born and raised. I've never been. I've never been. They have better... predominantly Hispanic, right? They have better Mexican food. Probably the best. Really? Oh. It's like a mini, it's like a mini Mexico. Literally, Well, yeah. this is like right there. And oh, you, yeah. go, you go over there often. Yeah. Because I, I see I, your stats. I got family over there. I got family. Yeah. I got a couple of houses well, right there. I think it was like 30 minutes from where I live, right? Mm. From what I remember. Yeah. We used to go every weekend. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then insurance took you to being a, a, bank, a base. A banker. A banker. A banker. Right. Yep. And then, yeah, I held multiple positions there as a banker. And then I went into a private banker role. I got promoted um, from El Paso, left to Tucson, Arizona. Mm -hmm. I did about a year out there. And that bought my ticket out here to Dallas for work. Wow. And so transitioned with uh, with the bank as a private banker uh, to Dallas. Uh, Fort Worth and um, after seeing when I arrived over here it was kind of like a uh, culture shock simply because there was a lot of Hispanics that were in the area however though there wasn't any Spanish-speaking financial advisors so a lot of these folks that spoke Spanish or you know and maybe had an opportunity like maybe had just recently sold a house or maybe had uh, been let go of a job they had a 401k plan they needed to you know park that with the bank there wasn't really anybody that could have helped them help them out yeah because there's a lot of legalities to it you can't really you know you know you can't really have somebody translating for you that is not licensed in that capacity at that time so i saw a big void there that i a big opportunity, opportunity and a void, you know, a void for a lot of these clients, opportunity obviously for me. So um, I was blessed with a great boss that, you know, kind of saw the same vision as I did. And he said, yeah, let's get you into this program. And so I became a financial advisor and, um, and uh, started, you know, with zero clients and ended up having a little bit under 250 clients by the time I, I left Wells Fargo. Wow, that's definitely, um, I think what you mentioned about being, that you didn't even see the opportunity. I mean, that you saw an opportunity because there was nobody else doing it. Like how, it just kind of shocks me that nobody else took that initiative before or nobody saw that void. What does right. that say? Can you tell me a little bit about what that, for you it said about our culture? Sure, sure. I could tell you um, uh, after diagnosing it correctly here, you know, just based on my, my personal opinion, mm -hmm. um, there are Hispanic financial advisors mm -hmm. in the Fort Worth and in the Dallas right. area. The issue, though, is, is that they don't speak fluent Spanish. Mm -hmm. So, you know, growing up in, in, in DFW, they probably were more dominant on the English side of things, right? So myself being, um, you know, being raised in, in, in El Paso. So coming from like a, 
mainly yeah Spanish it's a mainly hispanic so yeah. there's more chances that you spoke spanish more half the time exactly and so that kind of really helped my situation out yeah. that's where you know when i came in i mean i already had um you know if you go to el paso there's a lot of licensed financial oh, advisors yeah. out there because that's just the normal thing out right. there but out here in dallas fort worth is more it's more of a taboo and so I kind of saw that disconnect. It was a complete shock to me. And I said, you know what? I need to help out a lot of people. There's a lot of people here in this area that need to be helped. Mm -hmm. And um, my business just flourished, um, you know, as soon as I started, just because I was taking in people, not just from, you know, North Fort Worth, but also South Fort oh, Worth, sure. West, it's East, like Dallas. It's like people are waiting for somebody that, like you to yeah. come and explain Absolutely. To so most of your clients are Hispanics? Would you say? I would say the majority of them are Spanish speaking. Um, you know, I also have a lot of clients, not just you know that are of um, you know Mexican heritage, but I have clients that are from Chile. Mm. I have clients that are from. Colombia. Um, I have a couple of clients from Colombia. I have a couple of clients from Chile. I have a couple of clients from um, Costa Rica, mm -hmm. uh, Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, that live the UK. over there. Or both they okay. kind of commute they you know so okay and kind of yeah you know, just a little bit from all, all parts but yeah the majority hispanic you know so did you have to go to school for all this were you going to school throughout all of your yeah good question um so for to get your to obtain your series seven and your series 66 or your 65 and 63 which basically make up the 66 you don't necessarily have to have a college education mm -hmm. a lot of people are surprised um, the tests are very challenging I will say that that if you come from a financial background or a finance degree background it's definitely gonna help you you know with a lot of the verbiage and all that good stuff mm -hmm. but um, you know so they're like certifications. basically they're licenses Licenses. they're licenses yeah they're so licenses. You can do online or set classes um, you can do them online and there are classes. The most important thing though is that not just anybody can go out there and obtain those licenses today. You have to be sponsored by a financial or an insurance institution. Okay. Um, so, so could it be like a job that sponsors you? Yeah. Or, oh, so if you work for a bank or a, uh, like a bank or a financial company, an insurance company or something? Insurance company? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. But you gotta like work for- Like a big for... one? Like a Allstate, State Farm, something like that? Or like yeah, exactly. Okay. Same. Yep. So for that license, like, what exactly can you do with it? Um, that license actually allows you to talk about investments, allows oh, okay. you to sell investments such as stocks, bonds, options, um, mutual funds, ETFs, annuities, variable annuities, fixed annuities, all that good stuff. So oh, it allows okay. you to basically function as a full-fledged financial advisor. So in theory, um, but as far as my educational background, um, I do have a bachelor's in business management um, and I have a master's of business administration as well, um, along with a master's in concentrated in finance. Okay. Um, so when you did all the, your three degrees, were you already in this or were you just... Actually, yeah. You know what? Good question. I was, as I was doing my first securities licenses, my securities license, the series seven, I was in my final semester of uh, my bachelor's degree. Mm. So I was doing them at the same time, which oh, was pretty wow. pretty hectic at the time. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And you were still going to school two years ago or last year? What were yeah, you doing? Yeah, just, so, just recently. So in, in uh, 2016, I got back into school. I went, into, I went to SMU, and I decided to do the Certified Financial Planner designation. That's probably the designation to have as a financial advisor, probably the top one. Um, and so I went uh, approximately about a year and a half, um, and I did their their you know their accredited program, 
And after I finish the program, then you attempt to go past the test, which is a, I believe it's a, what is it, a 300, a 300 question test through seven hours. So. How was that? How was that? Uh, I'll give you an idea. Yeah, so I failed it the, 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 okay. the first two times I failed it. Um, I wasn't adequately, adequately, adequately prepared for it. Mm -hmm. You typically have to have about, um, even after you finish school, it's recommended that you have about 250 study hour times okay. just to attempt the exam. It's right. a very challenging exam, probably the most challenging exam that I've ever um, encountered, but I was able to pass it the third time. Wow. Um, you only do get five attempts, so the pressure oh, was on. After five attempts, you're 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 no longer. Yeah. It's like I would think that the mentality is like, okay, the first time, I, let me give it a try. I have five tries. Yeah. And then you, every time you kind of like. I guess you you make sure you make it a priority to yeah. invest your time and even in your studies. Exactly. Sure you yeah, you start thinking about all the time you went to school, right. those late nights you were there, and it's kind of like okay, either you put you know you put the the full pedal to the metal, right. or you know you yeah. kind of let this thing go, and I just didn't really want to let it go. So. Yeah. I remember when you were studying and working for it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was still working full time, so mm -hmm. I actually did take about a month off during my. Uh, during my study time, I had to just because you know it was requiring me you know 10, 12 hour study time days. So yeah, like a mental. Oh, it was yeah, it was challenging. Absolutely. So so tell us, what do you do? What's included in the financial advising? Right. So um so what we do is um we we every one of our we focus more on fin on financial planning. Now that you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a CFP practitioner, um, and what that basically encompasses is that, that encompasses pretty much all the financial pillars that one goes through throughout their lifetime, which includes the and you know includes just general investments. Something that I did as a financial advisor, um, you do tax planning. Um, we also do retirement planning, which for for example, you know, small business owners, you know, establishing four hundred one k retirement plans what they usually call con defined contribution plans, defined benefit pension plans, um, uh, non-qualified stock options, you know, a lot of the employer-sponsored plans. That generally falls under the retirement planning uh, pillar of it. Um, we also do insurance planning, so the, what we call risk management. So that encompasses also insurance from your auto insurance, your home insurance, you know, advising you on that, on your limits, your coverages. Um, life insurance as well, long-term care, disability policies as well. Um, we also include as uh, you know educational education planning as well. So you know when you have a client who wants to you know send their kids, uh, you know pay for their kids' college education, you know we we, we plan on that as well. So it encompasses um, also uh, you know. Under retirement planning, you also have like social security filing, which is something that the majority, maybe 90% of folks that are paying into the system is, is one day going to have that pension come into fruition. So the different filing methods, the different taxation methods that are, you know, that are involved in that, um, we specialize in that as well. Wow, that's very, that's like a very like broad, like spectrum of like different things that I didn't even realize that you financial advisors dealt with. Like for me, it's like... Yeah. Financial planners. Planners. Yeah. Sorry to put planners. Planners. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get that right. Um, I've always considered it a financial advisor. For some uh, girl, That's same. Yeah. And I've been knowing him for how long? 
Uh, gosh, when I met you, what, in 2013, 2012, 2013, yeah. something yeah. like that? But even like insurance, um, insurance planning itself, it's like, I didn't realize that that was even something that we can even seek assistance for. You know yeah, I mean? he does my life insurance. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just... Uh, life insurance, so like, how does that work? Like, you look for... So when you encompass a financial plan, you, you really, you're really looking at everything that it revolves around the client. Um, and typically what, what the main goal of a financial plan is, is making sure that whatever steps you're putting, whatever goals and, you know, and, and, and um, whatever your dreams and goals are, is that, you know, we find a way to hit those goals. Uh -huh. No matter what or if something happens, let's hypothetically say to you. So for example, if you're married and your husband you know you guys have two kids for example and all of a sudden your husband passes away mm -hmm. and he was maybe making he was a breadwinner he was maybe making hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year mm -hmm. um you know you were staying home with the kids raising helping at the house what do you do now that the hundred and fifty thousand yeah <laughs> so you know if, if you are qualified um and if you are insured through Social Security, you will get a pension from Social Security for not just yourself and your kids, but that might not be enough to replace the $150,000. So with life insurance, we use that type of vehicle to substitute in the event that something happens, you know, now you can have a $1 million policy coming towards you tax-free, and now you're able to sustain the same lifestyle or maybe even pay off the house, pay off the mortgage. Do you offer life insurance too? We, that's part of the financial planning process, yeah. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. So we have, I think all of, uh, all of us kind of have like questions that we want to address that I feel like it's, it's very important, uh, pertinent for like the Hispanic community in general. I feel Absolutely. like most of our, obviously most of our outreach is, is Hispanic, um, not just Hispanic, but Predominantly. And just wanted to disclose just before I, before I, I'm sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. but you know, okay. si hablo español, so okay. es en donde me enfoco más. Awesome, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so, um, I guess, let's start at the very beginning. Um, somebody, let's say somebody that doesn't know even where to start. Gotcha. What would you, what would your conversation be with that person? Like the steps. Right? Yeah, like the steps. Like, okay, okay I'm going to visit you, what's going to happen? Yeah. Like, sure, I have, yeah, sure, I have a lot of. I have a lot of clients that sometimes come to me that don't necessarily have assets to invest, but they're interested and they're, you know, they're interested in the financial planning process and they want to get started. Um, and, and just because they don't have assets doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, a financial planner can't help them because we have also the capability to charge by the hour or in this case, charge by the financial plan. And that financial plan will encompass, for example, your retirement plan at work and your social security and your insurance and all that good stuff. But to, um, to specifically answer your question, I do have a lot of folks that come in and say, listen, you know, I'm barely starting off. What is it that you recommend? Well, first and foremost, um, I used to be a Dave Ramsey advisor as well. So if, if, if um, wow. you, know, I, you know, Dave Ramsey has his seven steps of, 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 of what, you know, you need to do to kind of start off. And then, you know, one of those first steps is always to, you know, save the first thousand dollars. You know, a lot of folks don't have, uh, not, you know, have a, have a savings goal, savings plan. Um, and a lot of people come in and they'll say, hey, look, listen, I saved up $5,000 and this is all I got and I want you to invest it. But we would be doing a disservice to that individual if we are not focusing on the complete picture. I'll give you an example, $5,000 if this individual has two kids, you know, 
what if something were to happen to him? You know, this $5,000 he's gonna leave his to, to his two kids is not gonna help them out, right. not even for two, three months. Mm -hmm. So what we first need to find out is, you know, hey, do you have maybe insurance that's being offered to you at your employer? And if you do, okay, well, how much is that costing you? So we'll go into more specifics on that. Um, but when people start off, I always recommend folks to always start off with a savings account. Always have at least, bare minimum, three months worth of your monthly expenses, at minimum. I usually recommend six months if you're married and you have two incomes coming in and if you're single, I typically recommend to go sometimes up to 12 months worth of expenses in your savings account. So that would cover us and that would not interrupt the financial plan should something happen such as a job loss. Such as COVID. Such as COVID, yeah. such as, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a very, yeah, yeah that's a very, good one. Hit it. I think I, the reason I ask that is because I think what we're experiencing now in, in life is a good example of like, well, uh, I feel like more people are going to be seeking more financial advice. Right sure. Now. Sure. And like, it's important to kind of know, like, where do you start? Like, it's like, we don't, you know, a lot of people don't know where to start. Yeah. I mean, you, know? you have a, and then, you know, you do have, a, you, you know, you did have the market sell off pretty, pretty harshly. I mean, we did have uh, the fastest, what we call the fastest bear market mm -hmm. in history. In other words, the fastest uh, decline in a matter of, I believe it was 20, well, I don't specifically quote me on it, but I believe it was something like 26, 27 days mm -hmm. in which the market sold off 35%, right. you know, from their, from its peak. So um, that concerned that put a lot of worry into a lot of investors and a lot of savers is, um, you know, you know, um, investments, they're, they're, you know, what they were thinking about, you know, are we going to recover? And, and, you know, here we are almost fully recovered from that, you know, from that, um, from that big decline, but not without the help of a lot of federal reserve bank intervention mm -hmm. and a lot of fiscal stimulus coming from the government. Right. You know, like everybody got those 1200 bucks. Mm -hmm. Not know. everyone. Not everybody. All right. The majority of Americans. <laughs> Why did you get yours, Oh, we did. We yeah. do, but it's more, it would, it would, it would be more of a, uh, Personal. private, <laughs> private, yeah, okay. private. And then, yeah, but, um, but the majority, right? No, but the majority did get those $1,200 uh, per person. It was not his fault. Absolutely. It was not. Yeah. <laughs> they say, but well, it's on the, it's on the, I, I, on the I bill. think that raises, um, well, actually that leads us to the next question, right? Um, so I just kind of like want to recap that first question because I feel like that's the beginning, right? Like it's like a, a lot of people, there is a misconception at, in general, I feel, especially like I feel like it, in the Latin community where it's like you feel like, oh, I have to have money to even talk to a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's yeah. a huge misconception. They feel like, um, yeah. I guess like the legal thing is like yeah. they don't feel yeah. enough like yeah. to talk. You know? Well, I can help you with that. I think I think what happens is that when you typically, you know, working at various firms and various banks, um, what happens is that if you don't technically have money to invest, and you're seeing and you're going to, you know, you're going to meet a financial advisor that maybe just works off of commission. Right. You know, he's he or she's not going to really want right. to spend an hour educating you when there's really nothing going to be in return for right. that. Exactly. So that's where mm -hmm. I would recommend that individuals seek the advice of a financial planner or somebody with the capabilities that can maybe either again charge you by the hour or by a financial plan 
So, at, for example, at my firm, you know, we charge by the hour if you want to do hourly consulting, or if you're interested, which I, tip, I typically steer folks more to have a full-fledged financial plan, and that's something that they opt in to pay for. Um, but you know, again, that would that would give them the ongoing advice from not just investments, but from retirement plan, from insurance, from a tax planning perspective, and whatnot. So, at what age would you recommend? for us to start thinking about our finances. The sooner the better, that's the trick because- 18. The, Do you think yeah. 18 year olds are good? Uh, if they have a little bit of a something, you know, going on. If they have a 401k going on, yeah. Sure, yeah, but I, I mean- I Sure, but why not, why not, you know, be like my, you know, like my son, he already has a retirement account open. He was only 11 when I opened it up for him. Yeah, awesome. So just understanding that the secret to this whole thing is um, the whole secret to investing and having is, is, is just having time on your side. Right. The longer you have for those assets to compound, mm -hmm. you're letting that eighth wonder of the world work for you. Right. And, and compounding interest is something so powerful that mm -hmm. just I think it's just very underscored when folks are thinking about when they want to invest. They're thinking, oh, maybe when I'm 30 or maybe when I'm 40, it's completely wrong. The best thing to do is to do it at your as earliest, as, as soon as possible. As soon as you have that like yeah. mentality of like. Sure, I mean, maybe when you were 18 and you were working for corporate America, you know, when I worked for a, uh, you know, when I worked for one of the more well-renowned banks here in, in the States, um, you know, I did have tellers that were 18 years old and I, I would explain to them, I said, hey, look, listen, you need to start right now, even if it's 3%, get the company, get the company match. I mean, that's free money. Well, that's that, okay. Yeah. So I had a, a friend of mine that's like very smart about that. So he asked me the other day, he said, hey, you have 401k? I'm like, yeah. He's like, how much do you put in? He's like, and I told him like, well, I was, a, I was just able to start on it because I just got my job in last July. Mm -hmm. And so you're not able to get 401k until like after six months or something mm -hmm. like that. And he's like, well, if you can and you can afford it and put the max. Mm -hmm. Always say you can because that's like free money. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Right. I mean, well, when it comes, yeah. So when it comes to like the four hundred one k, how it works. Well, especially is, think, I actually said he said they do matches. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. There's some plans that um you know there's some employers that offer you matches yeah. on your uh, up to a certain percentage of your of your contribution. So for example, when I worked for a particular bank here in the in the Dallas Fort Worth area, they would match one hundred percent of the first six percent that I was putting in. Mm -hmm. So if I chose to put in ten percent, which is I actually, I personally was putting in 15% of my income. Oh, wow. um, but, you know, there's there's various advantages to not, you know, to, to well, there's various advantages to contributing to that type of plan because not only are you getting the company match, which is something that I would always recommend somebody to do. Right. Somebody's putting in 3%, but your company matches you up to 6%, 100% so of that. Putting, putting at least, putting at minimum 6% because you're leaving exactly. free money on the table. Now, those monies that you're putting into the 401k plan, technically, and typically, they're pre-tax dollars. So, hypothetically speaking, you have somebody who's making $100,000 a year and is putting in, I don't know, 10% of their income. When it comes tax time, they're only paying taxes on $90,000 versus $100,000. So, you're getting a tax deduction. And what you're also doing is that money's growing for you tax deferred. So that when the time comes when you retire and you have a couple of hundred thousand or a couple of you know million in there and you start withdrawing, then you pay income. That's when yeah. you have to pay taxes on those assets. Yeah. 
So it has so many advantages, but what we basically talked about right there is pre-tax money. There's also what we call Roth accounts, and, and, and Roth accounts don't give you the pre-tax advantage, but, but here's, what this, here's what happens with those Roth accounts, is when you have a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k, the money that you put in there, as long as you leave it invested for a minimum of five years, and when you withdraw it after the age of 59 and a half, everything is tax-free if you fall under those parameters. So just think about that. Over the course of 30 years, you contributed 100000 into a Roth 401k account, and it grew to, let's just say, $500,000. There you go, $500,000. You're withdrawing it tax-free. You don't have to pay taxes on those assets. So there's just many different ways around it. Everybody's... Everybody's circumstances are different. Right. Where we can, you know, deposit, where which one we would like to deposit on. So I would just recommend to talk with a planner, talk with a financial yeah. advisor to kind of seek what the best option is right. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I also heard those people that say, "Oh no, why do you have money? In, why do you have so much money in four hundred one k?" Like people, say, why do you why are you gonna put so much money? It's like it's not even gonna be there by the time you retire. Yeah, yeah, the typical yeah, the typical oh, Mexican myth, right? Like, well, what happened know? in two thousand eight? Yeah, so you know what, what, when uh, you know, depending on what, um, a lot of things happened in two thousand and eight. I think that um, are we talking about what caused it or what? Well, what a how lot of people lost out on a lot in investments. I mean, th- that's the thing. It's like investment is a risk, right? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, they lost out if they sold out. Correct. That would be a correct right. statement to say. But let's hypothetically say that you had somebody who was 30 years old at the time in 2008 and might have had $200,000 already saved up in the 401k plan. Well, you know, a lot of people, I have those, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I just recently had one of my clients from El Paso call me who was, you know, ratherly, you know, he was really freaked out of what was happening due to the velocity of this recent market decline we had. And, you know, when we go back and we look at it, he said, you know, what do you recommend that I do? Do you recommend that I, you know, remove the money and take these losses? I said, absolutely not. I said, hang in there um, simply because this is a retirement plan that, and you're continuing to contribute to the plan. So basically what you're doing now is you're, think of it as when somebody goes to a grocery store, you go to the grocery store and sometimes limes, you know, for those mm-hmm. that are beer drinkers, you know, you, you have, sometimes you get limes 10 for $1 and sometimes yeah. they're 4 for $1 and sometimes they're 20. Yeah. So think of it this way, when these, you know, when, when these financial assets or the financial markets are in ruins and you're systematically putting in $20 every single week, and this is just as an example, um, now what you're effectively doing, if Think of, a, think of it as limes. You're not buying 10 limes on a dollar no longer. You're buying 20. And eventually, at some point in time, when you're getting ready to sell those limes, that they don't expire, right? In real life, limes go mm-hmm. bad. But assuming that these limes don't never expire, you'll eventually be able to sell them for 10 cents on the dollar, but you bought them for 5 cents on the dollar. So a lot of people have that misconception of, should I stop contributing? Absolutely not. Even I would I would say increase your contribution because you're going to be buying more shares inside of your 401k plan. I, I think what to that right um, notion I think people what happens is that people are scared of the unknown. Sure. Right. So what happens in situations like that is like you get it's like a scare you get scared yeah. and you're like oh let me do it now because it's gonna get worse you know right. what I mean mm-hmm. but in reality like I guess it's just a fake thing right like if you believe in in our financial 
system and financial market. I think that's where people kind of generate their wealth. So I've researched and it's like a lot of like millionaires and like wealthy people have created that wealth during absolutely um, recessions yeah. during like because you see an opportunity that other people were feared right exactly out of fear they took all their money out. Well, I'll, you know give, I mean? I'll give you two examples, um, very good examples of what happened in 2008. And these are real life cases that I took, that I took on at yeah. the time when I was working for, for you know, the regional bank I was working at the time. Um, you, have, you have one individual who basically was a district manager at Dillard's, okay? This person was a district manager at Dillard's. He was a he he basically believed in the you know he believed in his company obviously. I think one of the mistakes he was doing, however, though, was he was highly concentrated on Dillard's stock. In other mm. words, everything that he had invested, he it was all in Dillard's right. stock. He really didn't diversify throughout his four hundred one k plan and the options that they allowed for him. So, um, you know, he you got to understand that when when two thousand and eight came around, uh, what was happening was that. People were losing jobs, mm -hmm. you know, when, yeah. when you're going out and you're, think of it this way, you know, when you're going out to a, um, you know, you're going out to a wedding and there's a recession occurring, more than likely you're not going to be buying a $90 mm -hmm. Ralph Lauren <laughs> shirt. You're going to say times are, yeah, or Walmart and you're going to go buy a, they do, and you're going you know, <laughs> to, or, or a Goodwill, but you're going to buy yeah. something that's going to cost you now 10 yeah. to maybe $20. Because now your priority is not, you know, obviously, you know, you're no longer, you now you're scared about the unknown, what, what may happen. There's exactly. no more sense of security. Yeah, right. and, and so what technically happened, so you can understand that Dillard's had their sales decrease. Right. Dramatically. Right. They were losing not only clients, but they were also losing some of their staff that they had to let go through. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of give you an idea, prior to the crash of 2008, Dillard stock as of March 1st of 2007 was sitting at about $36 a share. Mm -hmm. Okay, you need to understand that when you buy shares, you're actually an owner of the company. Of the company. You're an equity owner. So you're gonna participate in the good and you're gonna participate in the bad. Right. Okay, so when you see that share price go from $36.30 down to close to what the lows were in March, when typically you had Dillard stock run into the low three, the threes, you're talking about almost a 80 to 85% you know, loss on that particular stock. Now he had multiple shares and what I explained to him, I said, look, the only way that you can technically lose all this is if it goes to zero. What we wanna do here is you weren't really diversified. My only best recommendation is for you to hang on, focus, you know, focus on, you know, if you don't think that Dillard's is a company that's gonna go bankrupt, they have a lot of real estate. They have a lot of, you know, they have they have a very, um, you know, at that time their their balance sheet was looking a little off. But at the end of the day, you know, they did have a lot of real estate that they owned too. Mm -hmm. So I told them, I said, the best thing you can do right now is just hang tight, mm -hmm. hang tight, because it's a little too late to make these adjustments. Right. These adjustments need to have need, needed to have been made, you know, a year or two years ago when mm -hmm. you were getting close to retiring. So he did allow himself to, you know, he saw his account value go from somewhere in the low 400s mm -hmm. all the way down to the, to the high $50,000 range. So mm -hmm. you're talking about almost a $350,000 paper loss. Right. This was a loss that he still had not that incurred. Is, 
I can understand that in that moment, like you're, you're freaked out. And it's like, fuck, you know what I mean? Like really, that's what it, that's yeah. really what it is. Like, sure. you know, it's scary. Um, to, since we're on the subject of stocks and, and that was going to be one of my questions is like, um, cause uh, you know, obviously you, people want, are getting more educated, especially through COVID. I feel like sure. stocks has been a big, um, converse, topic of conversation. I don't know if you saw that, um, an example of it, how Spotify paid Joe Rogan like a hundred million dollars. But when that was announced, uh, their stock shares like increased or like their value increased to like, they basically made like a billion dollars off of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know, because people started investing right away. Because of the... Uh, um, because of Joe Rogan's, uh, I don't partnership know. Partnership with them? Partnership. Okay. They paid him. So basically it was like a good investment deal for them. I'll sure. pay you a hundred million dollars, but you're going to make us a billion dollars right. right away. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, well, not how, that they would it works, Yeah, right? I mean, because people see, it's kind of like, I'll give you an example. It's like Weight Watchers, right? right? Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers was a, a company that was struggling for a very long time. And then guess who came along? Oprah. And bam, all of a sudden you see that stock flying. Right. But again, you know, sometimes a lot of people, by the time that you hear that type of news, it's kind of like you're getting late to the party. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta be on top of You gotta be at the yeah. party pretty early to kind of ride that wave upwards. So, um, you know, some people are, get blessed with those types of situations. The types of situations that I try to tell my clients is to have a plan put in place, okay. right? So that we don't have to count on luck being on our side. Right, right. You know, Which is why you go to a financial advisor. Exactly. Because you are doing the work for us. Yes. Like you're staying on top of, right? I, I'm assuming at this point. Yes. So you're staying on top of like the market for us so that we're not having to constantly uh-huh. be like every day you know what i mean yeah. it's like a, it's a job that they do for you yeah right sure. mm-hmm. so that's something good to know because i feel like a lot of people um including myself like i'm not the most you know i don't really know too much about it um myself yeah and it's good to kind of like have the knowledge and understand what exactly a certified financial, financial planner does for you <laughs> yeah yes. you got it right <laughs> Definitely. And just as a disclosure, you know, a lot of certified financial planners work in different, you know, in, in, right. they, they focus and concentrate on different areas. But for the most part, a lot of these financial, a lot of certified financial planners focus on the financial planning aspect of it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they might be a full-blown expert on the insurance side. You or see what I'm saying? Yes, exactly. Either. Or some might not, you know, just because I'll advise you, for example, on on your auto and your home insurance as part of the financial plan, I don't sell auto and home insurance. I'm licensed to do it in the state of Texas and I'm legally bound to be able to even have that conversation with you. However, though, I don't sell auto and home insurance. So I would refer you back to your, either if you're with State Farm or you're with Allstate or you're with Progressive, you know, I would just give you the recommendation maybe, hey, I'm looking at your maybe liability coverages and I'm recommending that you increase them because you maybe have the minimum of property damage that the state allows, which is, I believe it's $50,000. And so that's not really going to help you out if you, for example, hit a $90,000 Cadillac Escalade. <laughs> Guess what? The insurance company pays the limit of 50000 and then they send you a bill for 40000 On that subject, which I don't, even think it was, I don't even think that was a topic of, gonna be a topic of conversation today. <laughs> But I feel like so many people rather invest sometimes in like a vehicle than anything else. What is your opinion about that? Oh, well, this is just your opinion. It's not necessarily, 
Everybody has a different opinion, right? I've so already talked with Myra about this. What do yeah. you choose to do at that point? Sure. So what would sure. you recommend somebody that asks you, hey, I want to buy this, what, but what do you think? I would say, it depends on their individual. He always tells me no. Yeah. I always tell Myra no. I say, <laughs> she's like, you know, going to swap in a car? I say no. The answer is no. No, on a more, on a, on a more serious note, what I would recommend is, um, you know, you obviously need credit, and credit is a very important aspect of it. Uh, of everybody's financial picture because more than likely that's how you're gonna obtain a mortgage more than likely That's how you're gonna obtain a credit card the whole nine yard my take on auto loans is that I would stay away from them Just because they're from from a cash flow from a cash flow perspective Just picture yourself dishing out a thousand dollars a month for a vehicle payment You know over the course of a year that's twelve thousand dollars that you're dishing out now you're driving a fancy Mercedes and if that's your thing, we respect that. Right. But if you're saying, hey, what would you recommend? I would recommend, hey, if you can, maybe purchase a vehicle, finance it for a very short term, or maybe even better, pay cash, cash. for it. And guess what? Right after you pay cash for it, that vehicle, ride it till it dies. And that's right. why I don't have luxury cars anymore. I'm done with them. There you go. I had an Audi, I had a BMW, and I'm done. I traded it. No. I've always been against like I learned my literally, literally me me and I think me and other in general it's like I feel like a car has never been a priority personally for me right the only reason that I mean I drive a Cadillac but the only reason that I do is because I got a really hot deal off of it right and that, from what I feel in that moment right sure. but I feel like um, I'd rather invest like in property rather than vehicle yeah like sure kind of, yeah but yeah. but again it's not just for anybody hearing out there, it doesn't mean that it makes it's you shouldn't feel less for it. It's like if that makes you happy, it makes you happy, absolutely right, absolutely. Um, but I just think if like your focus is like, well, I, I want to be able to create, you know, have myself financially, you know, secure in yes. whatever stage of your life is, that's probably not the first step you should do, right? right because, well, think about think of it this way, you see. A vehicle is going to depreciate in value. The I've heard that. Oh, I mean, the moment That's why I said I will never buy a luxury car brand new anymore. Yeah, yeah I mean, Just the depreciation you take on that is so you're not only dishing out cash flow, think of it this way you're dishing out, let's just hypothetically say, you know, you have your typical American family husband and wife mm -hmm. each has a vehicle loan because that's about 80% of the population yeah, right now. Um, and it, there, again, there's nothing wrong with it, but if you think of it in terms of how much money you're dishing out, $500 on each payment, and then you also have to, you're mandated by your banking institution to have comprehensive and collision coverage on there. So, you know, so when people, you know, pay for the so-called quote-unquote full coverage insurance, now you're dishing maybe two to three hundred dollars extra a month. So, you're, from a monthly cash flow perspective, you're dishing out twelve to thirteen hundred dollars a month, which translates to between, you know, fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars a year. Wow. <laughs> now, now, so when you look at it in terms of year, so you're dishing out eighteen thousand dollars a year for assets that are depreciating in value. That by the time five, six years is over, gosh, how much, not only how much money did you dish out oh, in okay. interest charges as well, but then you have what to show for it. You have a vehicle that wasn't worth $60,000 when you initially bought it. So it's a very personal and it's a very touchy subject. Touchy. But when people come to me and they say, look, we want your recommendations, 
I would highly, and, and I've seen many cases where people are living paycheck to paycheck, mm -hmm. and we look back at their expenses and we're like, well, do you really need <laughs> that Cadillac? Can you really afford it? Well, yeah, they can afford it. They think they're affording they it because think. they're barely making right. it, but they're just one area away from disaster. So right. we help them rethink and say, listen, you know, do you really need that Cadillac Escalade? Or maybe can you maybe downsize to a Chevy Tahoe? You know, go from an $850 payment to a $400. So for people that live paycheck by paycheck, how other than changing their cars, what else would you recommend for them to start saving or? Right. So going back on that topic. Yeah. So at least, you know, everybody needs to start off with, if, if you don't have at least a thousand dollars saved up, that should be your number one priority goal. Because typically what happens is that when you don't have those types of monies saved up, what happens? You end up going to a credit card. And then mm -hmm. that's when those bad habits start occurring. You start putting everything on a credit card. Before you know it, you have ten, twenty thousand dollars worth of credit card debt. And you know, we do come across some individuals that will come in to us and say, "Listen, I got ten thousand um, dollars in my savings account, but I also have ten thousand dollars in credit card debt. What do you recommend <laughs> so you me don't to really do?" Have I'm like, enough. "Well, you know, you do have them, but you don't have them. But here's the deal: you're coming to me, and there is no way. There's just no way right now." that anybody's gonna guarantee you an 18% return. That they'll put it to you on paper, if somebody ever does that, run. Right. Okay, run. You know, because in the in the fixed income markets right now, nobody's gonna guarantee you such rate. So, but I will guarantee you this though, most credit card companies are charging you upwards of 18%. Some are even charging you up to 30% interest. So wouldn't it make sense for you to save that money automatically, pay off that debt? Yeah and save yourself that 18% interest like Whatever charge. is causing you a loss in the first place, and the only reason I said this is because what I mentioned to you earlier is that, you know, when I was very young, I did work for a credit counseling company, you know, long story short, long story short, uh, it, it helped me um, kind of understand it at a very young age, which sure. I'm grateful for. But it's like, okay, when, when you look at your budget, right, you, you sit down and you look at your budget, and I'm a spreadsheet type of person, mm -hmm. week, right? So you look at your budget and you say, okay, what is gonna benefit me more to pay now that's gonna I'm gonna gain the most from. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're going where you're going yes. for, right? So 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 going step by step, if you don't have a thousand dollars saved up, make make sure that's your right. goal number one. The second goal would be to try to pay off all those credit card bills and try to get rid of your debt. Mm -hmm. If you can get rid and how you wanna get rid of it, use the use the use the uh, snowball effect where you're paying the the you know the highest interest credit card with the lowest balance pay that off because there is there are studies out there that will tell you that you do get some level of satisfaction when you're paying off a three four hundred dollar credit card bill mm -hmm. and you pay it off in its entirety and guess what now now that snowballs into going and attacking the payment you know the balance on the other credit card that have maybe now instead of five hundred, it maybe had a two thousand dollar balance. So now you've paid off the five hundred dollar one. Now you've paid off the two thousand dollar one. Now you go and attack that big five thousand dollar credit card. Mm -hmm. But now you're using that snowball effect. And not only that, but as you're paying off these credit card, you know when, what you are paying off when you're paying these credit cards and you're lowering down your your usable credit. 
that's also having a positive impact on your credit report. Mm -hmm. So now, guess what? That $5,000 credit card, maybe if you had a 20% interest, you can maybe negotiate it down to 10. Mm -hmm. And then now you're negotiating down to 10, and then now you're continuing to make payments on it. You're saving on the interest. So though that's what we talk about, the, you know, the snowball effect. So for sure, pay off any debt, and then... That is causing you the most, the, the most, with the 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 most interest. Like yeah. you're paying... Like if something is, for example, like whatever... 20%, which mm -hmm. is uh, probably unlikely right now, right? Yeah, it's the average. Yeah. 20% and then something that's 1%. What, what would you pay off first? 20%. Right. Yeah, 20. Interest, right? Right. yeah. And so once you do that, you know, then you go into establishing either your three or six month savings, uh, your, your savings um, reserve, so that in the event that you have a job loss or you have a job termination, or they just turn papers into you and say, hey, look, listen, here's what happened. You know, we're, we're, we're letting you go for whatever reasons, mm -hmm. COVID, whatever, mm -hmm. recession, it doesn't right. matter. You at least have some type of plan to continue to pay for your to expenses. Yeah, to buy you some time. Right. So after you do that, you know, definitely you want to look into retirement plans that are offered at your work. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people come in and they're like, hey, listen, I have these, you know, what, what do you recommend me to do? Deposit here, deposit there. Well, let's look at your company retirement plan because what we were talking to, you know, the point earlier was that, if you're working for a company that offers you a 401k and is offering you a 100% match on the first 6% of funds you put into that plan, that's a 100% return on your money. Mm -hmm. That's where it's free, money. it's free money. It's I mean, it's a 100% return on your money. Even if you put that money into a stable value mm -hmm. account, which typically a lot, the majority of 401k plans have, you're already making a 100% return on your money. Now, if you invest that into something like for the longer-term investor, like stocks or equities, now you're starting to see. You'll, now you're starting to see the historical, you know, the, the historical returns of oh, about an average ten percent a year. You know, uh, in the long run, some years are going to be better than others, um, and some years are going to be a little bit, you know, worse than others. However, though, in the average, if you're making a ten percent rate of return, I mean, again, the earlier that you start, that's the secret right there. Mm -hmm. and Obviously, it, it takes a lot of discipline, right, in mm -hmm. the first place, because I feel like um, every this is why you go to to someone, a professional, because everybody's situation is a little bit different. It's like, okay, this is what I'm willing to do. Some are some are able to do more than others, right? Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Like, we want to make sure that people understand, like, wherever you are in this moment, there's always a place to start. Right. You know. Right. Um, and people should not um, judge you for that or, or whatever. It's nobody else's business but yours. Um, like, so don't feel intimidated yeah, that you don't have. By yeah. It. Like, um, start with the ba very basic is a budget in general. Even understand what you're spending, which is sure. something that, again, I'm grateful for because I started at a nice. To this day, I can go back and tell you if you ask me. What did you spend on this day in 2014? I can go back and tell you. Yeah, there you go. Dang. Yeah. Literally spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. To where I realized, damn, I spent all this money on alcohol. <laughs> well, you did spreadsheets on how much you, you're spending. Everything, every every dollar, every cent that I have ever spent is tracked in my life. Really? Yeah. So you so keep all the receipts update, and everything? Uh, I have a spreadsheet. So you, How do you update it? I update it once a week at least. With your what, your bank account? Yeah, I mean, just banking. You know, and a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, if you bank wow. with a lot of the bigger banks or, you know, a lot of these banks have, their websites are so sophisticated now that they have all the spending categorized for you. You'd be surprised the pretty cool tools that some of these banks like Chase, Wells Fargo, you know. Wells Fargo? Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of apps now. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, don't get me wrong. It is sad as fuck. 
how how we're not sometimes I have to go back and just be like, what the fuck did I spend all this shit? Yeah, <laughs> man, if I was to look at everything that Sorry, I spend, this, this is an unfiltered podcast, but. Um, <laughs> No, but in reality, it's like you have to have self-awareness about where you are, where you are financially mm-hmm. right now, so that you can then understand, like, okay, well, sit down, you know, whether it's by yourself or with your spouse, and where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And if you have a vision of where you want to go, but don't know how to get there, this is when you make the decision. Okay, it's time to visit a professional that can at least guide mm-hmm. us and help us kind of take that direction yeah. based on where we're at. Yes, right? definitely. Yeah, I mean, if, if and you know, and, and and you know, finance is not everybody's cup of tea. So, you know, if you don't feel comfortable or you just don't know where to start again, you know, look, look, look for a certified financial planner would be my recommendation. Um, you know, somebody who's, who has the capability to help you with a financial plan or charge you by the, if, and this is, a, of course, if you don't have assets to begin with, but you want to seek the advice. Mm-hmm. There are professionals out there that offer those services to you. On the question of, um, since you touched the assets uh, topic, Right now, I feel like a lot of people probably, are, I'm even one of those people, it's like, um, our, house, our houses right now. Like, how is that, how is everything going on right now impacting like the market? Is it a good time to refinance? Is it a good time to take an equity loan out? Like, is it a good time to sell? What is your recommendation? Right yeah, now? so if you're you looking, uh, if you've been a, uh, if you've been a uh, person who has been in the market to buy a home, this is probably the best time mm-hmm. And refinance, too. Uh, and refinance too, as well. I just yeah. Like yeah. When the whole Corona COVID started, that's, I was in the process of refinancing a home, and that was like the best. Time yes, ever. definitely. I, I mean, like the lowest super lowest. Rate. So, what interest rate did they offer you? Maybe something in the threes, like low threes? 3.6 or 3.5. 3.6, 3. And what kind of a rate did you did you have before? Five. Five. Okay. So, and and, uh, and again, you know, not that we're disclosing yeah, that big any mortgage balances or anything like that, but assuming that somebody bought a two hundred thousand dollar home at let's hypothetically say five percent over the course of thirty years, you're looking at about total interest you would have paid, assuming you would have been given anything more to the principal, you would have probably paid about one hundred and eighty six thousand dollars in interest. So not if you would have wow. right now, what <laughs> so. Going down from a five to a three instead of the one eighty six, now you're you're paying one hundred and three thousand dollars in 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 interest. So that's a difference of what eighty two, eighty three thousand dollars in just savings right there. So there's tip, guys. If you have own a home, I would own this house for like five years. Refinance it. You know, look into. If you're not planning on moving anytime soon. And no, on top of right? it, because I have a friend that works. Um, but you can refine it. You can still your. It needs to make sense, guys. It needs okay. to make sense. It, it needs. So, for example, I'll give you an example. Let's hypothetically say um, Paula bought her house and she paid two hundred thousand dollars for it. She financed it for thirty years, and now she, you know, her rate was a five percent. But if Paula was paying into the principal, and mm-hmm. she's had this home now for ten years. And let's hypothetically say that, you know, with the additional principal payments, additional bonus payments she was making, her balance now is, let's just say, $65,000. It probably wouldn't make sense to even refinance it at right. 3% because now what you're doing is you're renewing the loan right. and you're paying extending interest. You're yeah. you're not, well, you're not extending it, but you're paying interest first now on, the, on, the on a newer loan. Yeah, where as in this case, you know, she's probably already paid the majority of the interest she's already. That was going to be my question is like, uh, how important it is to pay more than your minimum. 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That, and, and again, that goes with paying off your debt, right? So there is a little bit of a trick of a trade for a lot of people that get these 30-year mortgages. Instead of making what the normality is of 12 payments a month, right? You mm -hmm. pay it on the first of every month, your mortgage. What I would recommend people to do is, you know, call your mortgage company and say, hey, look, listen, can I get on your on your bi-weekly payment not. schedule? Is and it, some of them offer. No. Some of them do, some of them don't. Why would they say no? They said we don't do that. Well, think about it. They're, you're paying off the loan. If you, if you they don't to, make that much money off of you. You're <laughs> making, exactly. You're making yeah. two extra payments a year on there. Technically, what you're doing is you're adding more into the principal, right? right? And so, by but you, it's still your choice to pay more if you want to. Sure, right. but if you do that, you're probably going to knock off anywhere between five and seven years of your original 30-year balance right. just by making that bi-weekly payment. And think about it, mostly everybody gets paid bi-weekly either. Right, right? yeah, mm -hmm. I had a chance to do that. They said, no, I called. They said, wow. no, we don't, we don't do the bi-weekly My recommendation, pick up the phone and call and I ask did. to speak another representative. Right, another one? There has to be an, a way that your mortgage should be able to do it. If because not, you can actually you can do it. You choose to like pay yes. whenever you pay. If you pay yeah, online, online. Pay you can online. do it online. You can do it. I see. Pay as much towards like principal. Yes. Additional uh, a principal or an escrow, yeah, you can yeah, pay that too. Yeah. yeah. So right so, now it's okay. a time to sell. Well, I mean, you know, right no. now, right now, what we're seeing in the uh, it's hard to say. Oh. That, that, in the, <laughs> that in the housing market. Um, right now, we have Paul over here stealing my drink. Martha, Martha. Martha, I'm sorry, Martha. Martha's stealing my drink, but it's okay. No worries. So, depending on where, what area you're, uh, you know, what what market, what area of the market you're talking about. Um, right now, what we're seeing is we're seeing a very um, low inventory low of homes. Inventory. Right. So, you know, that's helping keep prices, uh, the demand of prices Hi. up higher. Yeah. Hi. Um, nothing like 2008 where you actually saw things okay. catapult downwards. On yes. um, the house, some areas, some areas, well, you know, depending on what areas. Um, so like New York, New York is, you know, being impacted. Um, you know, New York market is way totally different than the Texas market. But, you know, we've had, but New York has a lot of things going against them. For example, the 2017 Tax Cut um, Act that was passed into legislation um, was a big tax reform, something that we had not seen since the Reagan era. So we're talking about the 80s, that our tax code had not been updated. So that only capped people in, in, in places like New York to only be able to have a deduction of up to a maximum of $10,000 for the real estate taxes. So somebody who was paying $50,000 in real estate taxes now is not getting that break on that $40,000. That's having a big impact on people, people, for example, in New York that have a state income tax, yeah. you know, versus somebody here in Texas, what you're seeing right now here in Texas is you're seeing a lot of people also from California moving out here. Right. Why? Because oh. the cost of living in California yeah. is skyrocketing. They've been here the past 10, 12 years. Yes, yeah. Let's just hope that <laughs> they, yeah, that they're, you know they keep our state red, our, our state red right? You know why? <laughs> you know why? Because uh, after 2008, because I, well, remember I was telling you about my job in 2008. So I was I was frontline like talking to the people that were losing their houses from these balloon loans that, you know, from California or from everywhere. everywhere. A lot of people oh. from California. I would I would talk to a lot of people from California, from these loans that they were, um, whatever that they had, right? So I think after that, a lot of people kind of re. Uh, started paying attention more as to like okay well we, we cannot afford to live here anymore. we need to find somewhere 
You yeah, know what I mean? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that are looking that, you know, a lot of factors that get factored into the whole equation of it. But I would say that, you know, here recently, we really haven't seen um, prices really dip in the Texas area um, just because we have a high demand. A lot of companies are, are moving out here as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just had Elon Musk, you know, uh, literally... You know, he literally threatened California and said, hey, look, listen, if you guys don't get your act together, Alameda County, I'm moving my plant to Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, Elon Musk? He's a t uh, Tesla? Uh, chairman of Tesla. Oh, Tesla, okay. I said Tesla. Yeah, Tesla, Tesla. the electric car? Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. So he's a big player in the game, but I mean, you have, so you have uh, Toyota that moved out here as yeah, well. Now you're starting to see Austin become a tech hub, you know? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's becoming like the mini Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, but, yeah. you know, that's how Silicon Valley started, you know, in, in, in the late 70s, early right. 80s, you know, as a little small tech hub. So it's kind of exciting to see what the Texas, growth the growth that Texas yeah. is going to experience. So yeah. I think that's... I'm definitely excited for Texas future, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I ain't going anywhere. I'm staying here. I'm staying yeah, here. Same. Yeah. In the heat. Yeah. Same. So tell us your location, your Twitter account, so people can yeah, follow you. Yeah, definitely. So, so folks that wanna, you know, follow me on Twitter, uh, my Twitter handle is Eric Carlos CFP. So that's E R I C K C A R L O S C F P. And so we'll share it as well. Yeah, you can definitely share it. Um, you know, um, I do post videos from time to time, market updates. Um, I try to stay active on it. Um, you know, moving forward, I'm going to be even more active on it just because I feel that, you know, social media has this very big presence, impact, impact yeah. and presence platform, now. Huge so, platform. Huge platform. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, folks can also visit me, um, you know, at our, uh, at our homepage at www.texasprivatewealth.com. Um, you'll also, that would also feed you into our Twitter feed as well. So um, thank you again. Thank you so much for being here and even educating us, right? Um, I think so much of our community can really take a lot from this. But honestly, financials, we can just be here all night talking about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? So um, we definitely are open to, like, if you're willing to in the future invite you for another one. I feel like if people, if, if you guys listening right now, like, have so many questions after, I, I do have a couple questions before we wrap it up. Wrap it up. Okay, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Was the question answered about like how is everything going on with the whole COVID and like even like everything? The economy? Yeah, the economy. Yeah, how yeah. Did it affect us? I had a friend, Pam, asked me, uh, how is all this happening affecting us financially? Mm. Very yeah. good question. I think there's a lot of disconnect right now with what's happening with the economy and what's happening with the stock market. Okay. Yeah. Um, what we've what we've seen is that we 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 saw the fastest bear market occur in a matter of, I believe, 26, 27 days. Don't quote me on the exact days, but mm -hmm. I can tell you right now that it was the shortest. Fast, like. That was the fastest in the shortest amount of time that we dipped into a into a bear market in the stock market. Okay. So a, stock, a bear market is typically defined as a 20% drop from mm -hmm. its peak. Right. Um, so from its peak of February 19th, you saw a 35% retracement downwards. So, you know, the, the, so, so it tumbled in, yeah. in, a, in a very fast period of time. And, and obviously, you gotta remember that the stock market is always forward looking. Right. It's not what's happening today. Right. The stock market is about maybe 12 months in advance. Right. So, 
when you have, you know, when, when, when there was a big economic impact occurring because of COVID. Right. Um, you know, as you guys know, you know, a lot of people were sent home or working from home. Some people Furlough, lost their jobs. Some people were furloughed. Mm -hmm. Now, There's what less demand in the economy? Yes, right. and what I will say though is that you know, saying that the market dipped that fast, it has recovered. The majority of it, I, I believe, as of today, we're about maybe eight nine percent from its mm -hmm. from its peak. It, it's it's rallied close to about now close to about forty percent from its very low. Mm -hmm. However, though, a lot of um, you know, my opinion on that is that we did have a lot of not only monetary mm -hmm. intervention coming from the Federal Reserve Bank that injected money into buying bonds and buying you know into the financial markets but then you also had fiscal a big fiscal response so what i mean by fiscal response is you had a 2.2 trillion dollar package that congress passed that included um, the ppp loans for small businesses okay, okay? that included the 1200 dollars stimulus payments that we all got except for myra <laughs> right and 500 now that we know, now that we know um private but also five hundred dollars for every child that you know that got it. Oh, so speaking for a child too. <laughs> yeah. So you know, there's a lot of people that do that. That that really has helped um, the velocity of money stay afloat. And so there's um, there's some good and there's some bad with it. But what I can tell you is that you know it didn't have the same. It probably won't have the same ramifications of. 2008 simply because in 2008 we were a little bit late to include and inject any monetary stimulus into the program and there was no think about it in 2008 if somebody was making let's hypothetically say four thousand dollars a month on a monthly salary the maximum benefit that they would be able to you know, uh, to, to be allowed to get from unemployment was close to maybe $2,000. So you're talking about a 50% reduction in income. If you have a 50% reduction in income, what happens? You start adjusting your life right away. Right, yeah. You start maybe letting go of the car. You start maybe not going out to the bars, to the restaurants, because you don't have that disposable right, income. Especially when it goes from one day to another. Exactly. Like, so the main difference that people need to understand is that with the $2.2 trillion package that was passed, um, included in that package was legislation for uninsurance for I'm sorry for insurance for unemployment benefits and that gave an extra six hundred dollars a week for I believe ten to twelve weeks of unemployment of an extra unemployment benefit so so fast forward the same person that's making four thousand dollars today loses their job they'll get the two thousand dollars from regular unemployment insurance and then guess what they're actually making more money now. They're making $4,600 a month instead of 4000 That's why people don't want to go back to work. And that's going to probably create oh, a problem long-term, yeah. yeah. I think short-term, it's great, and that's the reason why you've had the stock market rally, recent rally been so strong, because there has been a lot of intervention, monetary-wise yeah. and fiscal-wise. Um, but, you know, the question remains, you know, there's a, there, you know, the, the, recent, the recent bill that Congress... Uh, presented was I believe another three trillion dollars yeah. I mean my personal opinion is we just can't be adding more debt more right. debt more debt eventually it's gonna come and haunt us right. now, maybe not us but maybe our children or maybe right. our children's children somebody has right. to pay for that at some point in time yeah. so you know um, there's a lot of aspects to it but 
Um, I think that, you know, government did intervene in a good way because right. this could have really spiraled. Oh, and we're still not... A, imagine if it would have gone to 200. Oh, it would have been really bad. Yeah. The Great Depression. Yeah. You probably would have had maybe, no, maybe even insane. worse. But we're not out of the... We're, we're not out of the woods yet. I think that... We'll still see some more volatility come no, our way. Um, but I think that is a very touchy subject in general, yeah. right? Um, hey, do you have any more questions? No, well, that's what I was going to ask. No, I have another like, question. Yeah. yeah. Books. Okay. Yeah, what do you recommend? I'm very into books. Like, I learned the whole car buying. I usually have a luxury car by reading uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a book that so I've read. Give mm -hmm. our guests, uh, like, I guess, like, few books that you recommend for yeah yeah i'll give you the i'll give you my favorite book that i have read maybe close to seven or eight times and i'm re notes. reading it now I, I, so before you say that sorry mm -hmm. i don't put me in interrupt you but i feel like when you read something multiple times you you like learn something new uh, yeah absolutely yeah there's yeah. a sure. way that you yeah. could recap all those 18 yeah. chapters right. Right? right so um the intelligent investor Mm -hmm. Oh, I've heard of that book. Benjamin Graham. Um, and if you guys know who Warren Buffett is, that's Warren Buffett's hero and idol, mm. besides his dad. The Intelligent Investor. It's a very, um, it, it's, it's been revised. There's been a lot of revised editions on it, but um, it really helps you understand that when you're investing, people want to invest for a year or for a month or for whatever time frame, but if you, take away, if you take away that mentality and you think of yourself as a owner of a company, for mm -hmm. example, Apple, mm -hmm. if, for example, I buy Apple and I put in $10,000 in Apple stock, I own a piece of Apple. Now, Apple's gonna go, Apple's gonna have bad days and they're gonna have good days, just right. like everybody else. Mm -hmm. But just think about it, how many millions of people have iPhones here. Well, let's take. Well, let's just yeah. let's just do right now. What's yeah. your phone? iPhone. What is your phone, Myra? IPhone. iPhone. I'm using an iPhone. Paula, what do you use? iPhone. <laughs> Four out of four people right only now. Only the nerds use Android. Right. Yes. So you know, think of it in that context, and not only that, but I have an iWatch. Myra has an iWatch. Yeah, yeah. Paula. So you know now, and then now you're now you're looking at that company that is also in the services industry. They're not even in the sales. They're also in the sales industry, but they're in the service industry by what? I have Apple Music. I pay those guys ten bucks a month every single month. But you know what? I'm happy with the service. Why? Whenever I want to hear whatever I want to hear, whether it's you know some country, whether it's some rock, whether I'm at the gym or I want to have my playlist. I don't have to be, you know, having to purchase a new CD all the time. Right. So that's convenience, CD. but that's part of a service. So these guys are making $120 off of me every single year. It's all about the more convenient you can make somebody's life. The sure. Better, right. Any podcast? So you said, do you listen to so podcasts? The Intelligent Investor. The Intelligent Investor. Like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, I have that one. There's a couple of, uh, you know, there's a couple of biographies on Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is somebody who uh, you know I of course I look into. Um, you know I would highly recommend. Just in general, like research the billionaires and their stories. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of those. Uh, there's you a know, lot of stuff you can learn from reading. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Oh my God! Like people do not like things. researching in general. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, but no, number one is reading books. Mm -hmm. Like I've heard, like if you don't read. You're not getting smarter because right. you can read a lot. Because online, like I feel like there's a bias. There's a lot of, yeah, 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 there's a lot of false like information. You know, yeah. 
I feel like with books, you can actually... You're educating it. yourself, and you're getting right. it from the source. You're so getting it from the... Whatever your source... Whatever I, your source I, is, I whether it's a book, a podcast, yeah. an article that was an interview of that person, mm-hmm. whatever your source is, it's just try to step out of your comfort zone and, and educate yourself, right? I saw a TikTok today where it said, if you're over your uh, guy's house, um, if you don't see no books on his down book shows, you better fucking run. Yeah. I would probably <laughs> say... Like, run. Yeah, and that's like big. Like, I'm big on that. Yeah, I'm reading yeah. and smartness. Yeah, so and I typically, you know, like you know, it's very different. You know, some people read like Harry Potter. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. I've always been to the type where I would rather spend my reading time going into it something that's going to educate yourself. What you're into? But it's, it's what you're into. Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't hurt to read books such as like Rich Dad Poor Dad. I mean, oh, it's a man, great book really to kind of like start off. You know what I mean? Um, it's not that big and in, in, in you know not that long of a book, um, but you know it's something that's going to help you definitely with that. Yeah, um, Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, a lot of those books he goes into detail from the very beginning. Does he have a podcast? Um, he has a podcast as well. He does. Yeah. Okay. I also have the book "How Women in Their Bridge" or "How Bitches in Their Bridge: Being Rich Like Women." It's about a, a woman book. It's, it's, I mean, there's just like so much content. Yeah. yeah. Point is that like do something to um, educate yourself, educate yourself, yeah. whatever it is. You know what I mean. So those are some good options. What about um, besides being on a podcast? <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you listen to podcasts? That was my I question. To, yeah, yeah. I listen. I listen to a couple of them. Dave Ramsey's podcast. Dave Ramsey. I look at them. Um, you know, I like to. Um, you know, I, I honestly like to do a lot of, uh, I like to listen to a lot of vlogs, a lot of two, three minute clips right. um, that catch my attention right. and then I'll kind of go into it. Um, but yeah, Dave Ramsey um, is just one that I can, you know, tell you off the top of my head. What about like mentorship? Like, do you offer that? Because you know, they always say find a mentor. Oh, yeah. They always say, yeah. mentor that's smarter than you and learn from them and pick their brain. Yeah, so I do. I, I actually, that's a good, very good question, Paula. I do mentor um, young, aspiring CFP professionals, um, those that are going through the. I, I mentored a couple. And so, um, you know, I've mentored, I've, I've mentored them as well. Yeah, definitely. But I always look for somebody that's, you know, going to have. Um, one thing I will say is you got to have, you got to be very careful with a lot of people that just because somebody's on the radio, for example, doesn't qualify them. Um, you know, investigate those people that are. Yeah, do your research. You know, hey, what school do you go to? What licenses do you have? You know, what, what, you know how long have you been in the business? How much assets do you manage under manage? Do you manage under, you know, under your book? Um, you know, how long have you been doing this? You know, who's your team? Are you by yourself or are you a lone wolf? Or, you know, you've got to ask those okay. questions to vet the process completely. Right. I agree. Cool. Any other questions? No, so we I can think wrap that's it up? for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, we we can be here all night talking about financial yeah. because there's it's such a broad, like, spectrum of, like, I mean, there's a lot of different right? Yeah. And hopefully in the future, you know, we get to have you again. Yeah, right? that's fun. Uh, guys, if you guys have any questions about anything, we like we always say, email us at sippingwithus at gmail.com. Let us know what your questions, your concerns are, um, any feedback that you might have. We've already uh, disclosed. We'll tag him. We'll include all his, his Twitter. socials. Yeah. Yeah, all of Eric's Well, not my questions. social security, but. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm all of his, his social Twitter. media platforms <laughs> yeah. to be. I'm like, what my social security? <laughs> um, but yeah, let us know what you guys, um, give us feedback and, and what you guys want to know more of because we can literally be here all night in, in this dig into the subject and I think we all 
as Hispanics, we need to make sure that we are educating ourselves, that we are learning, and that we are uh, educating our parents. A lot of us, a lot of us are first generation um, Latinos, mm -hmm. you know, Americans from from Latino her uh, Hispanic heritage, and I think it's important for us to also educate our parents and and kind of. Like Eric said, it's like give them give that confidence that it's okay to reach out to a professional. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and you know that's and you know again, I will say this: if you know if if the majority of our listeners today um, consist of you know you know folks in their twenties, in their thirties, or even in their forties, if you have parents that are about to retire, or maybe they have questions on you know a lot of people don't understand social security. Um, the big misconception out there is that everybody wants to apply, especially in the, especially Hispanic folks. Uh, I don't know what it is about, maybe they think like, I, I think I've narrowed it down, and I'm generalizing here, but the general topic is that a lot of people say, oh, the money's gonna run out, or I don't, or I'm not gonna live enough. Me voy a morir en cinco años, ahorita lo voy a agarrar, and it's like, you know, what happens is that by you filing early, you're taking a massive reduction and you're leaving they hundreds right. of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but it's even worse if you continue What's the to work. Difference? Either what? Well, the earliest you 64? can the earliest you can file for social security benefits is at sixty two years old. Oh, I thought it was yeah. sixty four. And that's after 62. you retired. I'm sorry? That's after you retire? No, 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 no. See, see, age -wise. See, just age-wise. Just age-wise. Social Security, and then, you're still working? Yes, yeah. but see, what happens is that if you're 62, let's just, I'm going to give you a really quick analysis. Yeah, okay. Let's say somebody, somebody, um, you know, the average, somebody right now um, who gets a full retirement package yeah. from Social Security, what they call your full, your, your, your PIA, your mm -hmm. primary insurance amount, is based on age, but let's just say it's at 66 years old. So at 66 years old, at 66 years of age, what Social Security will say is, let's hypothetically say, they'll tell you, hey Paula, based on your earnings, you'll, you, you're entitled to a $2,000 Social Security benefit at the age of 66. However though, if you're like, wow, what about if I get it at 62? What they'll tell you is that they'll say, well yeah, you can get it at 62, but you won't get $2,000. You're gonna take a 25% reduction. Mm -hmm. So instead of you getting that $2,000, it's gonna come down to approximately $1,500. Mm -hmm. And that's gonna be for the rest of your life. So what is your benefit? Like 62 years or the best one? Obviously oh, you take the, I mean, if you feel like it depends. you know, yeah. I mean, it's a personal There's issue, a lot right? of moving parts, but yeah. I would say is this, is there's, like I tell everybody, there's a big difference in there. But it, there's nothing wrong if people want to retire at 60 or at 62. It's just having a plan. Right. You see what I'm saying? So maybe, maybe, having the assets yeah, maybe. let's hypothetically yeah. say you have somebody that started investing very young in their 401k, right. spent all their time in, you know, investing in the 401k plan, and all of a sudden they have a million dollars by the time that they're right. 60 years old. Guess what? That person can retire. However, they're not going to get social security benefits because they're too young. But if they get, if they have a million dollars, they can maybe use, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars to bridge them up right. until the age of maybe sixty-six. A lot of people also don't think that, you know, they retire early at sixty-two. Well, what are you going to do for health insurance? You don't qualify for Medicare mm -hmm. until you're the age of sixty-five. So what happens if at sixty-three you have a massive heart attack or something happens, and then now you find yourself not working, not having insurance? Guess what? You're running into financial disaster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, that's all part of the financial plan. But your goal of retiring maybe at 60 is different than maybe 
uh, Martha's goal, different from Myra's goal. Everybody's different. That's why everybody needs a plan. Everybody needs to focus on what am I going to do, and more importantly, how am I going to plan to get there. So, if you are listening to this podcast, you need to visit Eric Gatos. Yes. I'm going to get to my parents soon because they're out there. They're like 60 something. Yeah. His office is in Dallas, but he you can travel. Right? I travel. Yeah. I always come home. Yeah. No, <laughs> that was a joke. I always come home. Like, uh, well, yeah. Maybe <laughs> 30 minutes away is not that far. Here. Yeah, no, uh, no. I, I, my office is in Dallas. Yeah. I have I have two offices in Dallas. Um, but I have a lot of clients in Fort Worth. As a matter of fact, the majority of my clients are. So do you go to their homes or what? I visit folks. I do house calls. I do. I, I visit people at home. Um, I visit people at their businesses. I visit people at their work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I visit the people at Starbucks. It's all about yeah. the relationship. Where my clients feel comfortable. Pericas. <laughs> Las Pericas here in Fort Worth. <laughs> I mean, Myra and Bonita. Yeah, we're always there. Or, you know, um, I meet a lot of my clients at Starbucks. Here recently with COVID, we're doing Zoom meetings. Yeah. Um, so, like everybody else, right? I mean, so it just depends. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, flexibility is no issue. Alrighty, well, thank you. Interesting, I learned a lot. A lot, yeah, me too. And I'm sure I'm gonna have more questions. So yeah, so again, guys, just reiterating, let us know what you want to know more about in detail. Send us an email, preferably, because you know, obviously, these are sensitive questions, right? Mm -hmm. Or just call Eric Carlos. Visit his. We'll we'll link all of his social media platforms on our platform. Um, but again, give us some feedback on what you thought about this episode and also if you want a part two. And if people want to email me directly, yes. also if they feel a little bit more comfortable, of just course. FYI, um, they can always email me at eric, E R I C K dot Carlos, C A R L O S, at L P L dot com. L P L dot com. And we'll post that too. Yeah, your email. Sure. Okay. Awesome. Well, well, thank you. Thank you guys for you. sticking around and listening to this episode. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having here. me, girls. It was fun. And we'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.